From the State Capitol, WFSU Public Media brings you Capitol Report. Governor DeSantis dispatches another batch of Florida military and law enforcement personnel to the U.S. border with Mexico. I think we were the first state to really offer big support uh, three years ago in 2021 because we saw the direction that this was going to take. Also this week, despite fit starts and possible legal pitfalls, social media restrictions for younger kids is headed to Governor DeSantis's desk. We're somebody that's believed in, in involving parents as much as possible. We'll also see when state budget talks between the House and Senate may get started and check out the pushback when it comes to issuing identification cards for previously undocumented immigrants. It's the end of week seven of the Florida lawmaking session. I'm Tom Flanagan and this is Capitol Report. Funding for Capitol Report is provided by the following. Florida State University, a preeminent institution. FSU specialty license plates support scholarships for deserving students who enrich and contribute to our state and nation. More on FSU specialty plates is at fsu.edu slash mytag. And from HR Florida State Council, affiliate of the Society of Human Resource Management, advocating for the workplace on behalf of 16,000 human resource professionals and 6,300 Florida employers. HR Florida State Council. More at hrflorida.org. With the legislative session expected to end March 8th, Senate President Kathleen Pasadomo expects budget negotiations to kick off on Monday. The Senate and House have proposed budgets that top $115 billion. Legislative leaders have been working on what are known as allocations. They determine overall amounts of money provided to different areas of the budget, such as education and health and human services. Once allocations are set, Pasadomo says conference committees will meet to negotiate spending details. Our staffs have been working really, really well together, and um, I think I think we're, we're going to come in on time. And I wanted to say under budget, but on budget. Because of a constitutionally required 72-hour cooling-off period, the budget will need to be finished March 5th to allow the legislative session to end as scheduled. The budget will take effect with the July 1st start of the 2024-2025 fiscal year. Governor Ron DeSantis is sending even more Florida personnel to the southern border. Tristan Wood reports the governor held a media conference today where he also told reporters he doesn't regret his failed 2024 presidential run. The conference was a send-off for a coalition of Florida National Guard members and Highway Patrol officers to Texas. This is just the latest wave of Florida volunteers and employees he has sent to help conservative states deal with undocumented immigration. DeSantis says he will keep using Florida resources to try to stem illegal immigration in other states until he feels the federal government is providing enough. Uh, we saw, I think we were the first state to really offer big support uh, three years ago in 2021 because we saw the direction that this was going to take. So uh, we're going to continue to be in this fight until the problem is solved. And we need to have the problem solved. Americans' security depends on it. American lives depend on it. DeSantis also furthered a common complaint from the American right that, quote, military-aged men, unquote, coming from countries that are American foreign adversaries like Iran and China, 
pose a threat to American safety. National critics of that narrative have decried it as xenophobic, as well as stoking bigotry against Muslim Americans. To DeSantis, allowing those people into the country opens the door for increased threats of terrorist attacks. A military-aged male coming over from, like, the Middle East? Is that really something that we want to be green-lighting in this country? I don't think so. DeSantis didn't just talk about immigration. Responding to press questions, he says he is undecided about whether he will sign a controversial bill that would ban children under 16 from social media. He also says he is ready to sign a bill that would allow the grand jury testimony from the 2006 investigation into Jeffrey Epstein to be released. Yeah, you have this this notorious um, uh, offender all catering to all these rich people, and yet nobody has been ever held accountable for any of this. How does that happen? The governor also weighed in on his failed bid for the 2024 Republican presidential nomination. He dropped out of the race after being trounced in the Iowa caucuses. Despite the outcome, DeSantis told reporters he doesn't regret running. I, this country needs big change. You need someone that's going to go in there and get all this done. Uh, I was somebody that had the ability to do that. And I think we had to offer that uh, to the folks. Um, you know, we had uh, some people agreed with that in Iowa, but not enough agreed with it. And so, um, you know, While his national star may have dimmed. DeSantis still wields considerable control over the Florida legislature. How he will wield his veto pen over the policy priorities of legislative leadership remains to be seen. I'm Tristan Wood. A controversial bill restricting social media is on its way to the desk of Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. Yesterday, the House and Senate gave the final nod to ban kids from apps like TikTok and Snapchat in an effort to prevent children from being exposed to harmful material online. And we get more on that story from Adrian Andrews. Governor Ron DeSantis is now weighing whether to sign a bill that calls for the removal of all social media accounts held by kids under 16. The prohibition does not allow for exemptions with parental consent because of its, quote, addictive features. After the legislature passed the bill, the governor told reporters he still has some concerns. He says parental rights are an important part of his administration's agenda. We're somebody that's believed in, in involving parents as much as possible. DeSantis has never fully embraced the social media ban. He says while he agrees social media can be dangerous to kids' mental health, parents should have the final say when it comes to their child. I do think parents could supervise in ways where it's used in ways that could be beneficial. Despite DeSantis's disapproval, a bipartisan group of lawmakers is touting the measure as a success. House Speaker Paul Renner says his staff worked with the Senate to address some of the governor's concerns, including the age verification portion of the bill. Renner says not allowing tech companies to retain personal identifying information should clear up a lot of the governor's worries about violating the privacy of adult users. We've had many good conversations with all stakeholders inside and outside the Capitol, including the governor's office. And I think if you look at this bill, you see all the enhanced anonymity we put in, which was an issue that he had raised with us. Fort Pierce Republican Senator Erin Grawl was one of the lawmakers to lead the measure in the Senate. She, too, joined in on the celebration as she thanked Renner for making the bill one of his top priorities in this legislative session. The focus on the constitutionality of it and how we pass a law that works for Floridians, it's just been an honor and privilege, Speaker, and I am just grateful for everything that you have done for the state of Florida. As for the social media ban, its next stop will be the governor's desk where he can either sign it, veto it, or the bill could also become a law if he decides to take no action. I'm Adrian Andrews. 
controversial effort to strengthen self-defense arguments for people who shoot bears on their property is headed back to the Florida House. The Republican-controlled Senate this week approved a bill that critics contend will result in increased deaths of the once-threatened species. The House passed the bill last week, but the Senate made a change to make clear the self-defense protections wouldn't be available to people who lure bears with food or in other ways. The change means the bill will have to be considered again by the House. Bill sponsor Corey Simon says the bill's needed because of an increase in bears venturing into residential areas. This is just strictly a self-defense bill, much like we have self-defense abilities. Um, If there was a person that broke into our house, uh, we should have those same abilities if a bear comes into your home. And so that's, that's simply what this is. The proposal in part says people would not be subject to penalties for killing bears if they reasonably believe that the action was necessary to avoid an imminent threat of death or serious bodily injury. People who shoot bears would be required to notify the Florida Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission within 24 hours and show they did not intentionally place themselves or pets in situations where they needed to kill bears. Also, people would not be allowed to possess or sell bear carcasses after the killings. Coming up on Capitol Report, while some lawmakers argue Florida should stop offering services that might attract undocumented immigrants to the state, others say the state should welcome them with open arms. They're coming here for a safe haven. Why not provide it? Why not go out there and say, you're welcome here, open arms. Advocates say a bill to crack down on IDs issued to undocumented immigrants could be bad news for unhoused people, seniors, and others who depend on community identification cards to help them access services. Regan McCarthy reports. Community IDs are typically issued by local service organizations. They're supported by ordinances passed in a handful of Florida counties. The identification cards don't allow a person to vote or drive, but they can help people get access to things like a library card or housing. This is a way for people to pick up their kids from school, to pick up their medications. For people like my grandmother who don't have a driver's license to be able to say, this is who I am. If she gets lost, this is who I am. Maria Lise Mendesamora, who works with the Florida Immigrant Coalition, calls a bill filed by Spring Hill Republican Senator Blaze Angolia an attack on Florida's diverse communities. The measure would limit access to community identification cards by prohibiting local governments from financially supporting or accepting ID cards issued by programs that also issue IDs to undocumented immigrants. Jackson Oberlink with the group Florida Rising worries that could spell the end to all community ID programs. The vagueness of this law will cause far-reaching unintended consequences that will lead to people rejecting community IDs outright. Bill sponsor Blaze Angolia argues that allowing people who are undocumented to participate in community ID programs creates a draw, encouraging more undocumented people to come to the state. We want to take away the magnets that are fostering illegal immigration. 
But Kissimmee Democratic Senator Victor Torres says he doesn't see a reason to keep anyone living in the United States from trying to reach the American dream. And he says if Florida can offer anyone a helping hand in doing that, he doesn't understand why it wouldn't. They're coming here for a safe haven. Why not provide it? Why not go out there and say, you're welcome here, open arms. We're at a time that we need workers. We need people who will qualify, people who will do the job. But no, that's not good enough. (laughs) Me duele el alma. My heart hurts. Despite the concerns, the measure passed its final committee hearing. Senate and House versions of the bill are awaiting discussion on their chamber floors. I'm Regan McCarthy. An early season forecast from AccuWeather sounded an alarm for what the forecasting service said could be a blockbuster of a hurricane season in 2024. But that forecast, three months in advance of the official start of the 2024 hurricane season, leaves a lot of time for things to change, other forecasters said. We get more on that from WGCU's Mike Braun. The Atlantic hurricane season officially starts June 1st, but AccuWeather is issuing serious and growing concerns about the impending season. Here in Florida, where since 2000 there have been some 13 hurricanes and 79 tropical or extratropical storms, the outlook is more wait and see. Megan Borowski, chief meteorologist for the Florida Public Radio Emergency Network, says it is too early to make a definite forecast. So the first thing to note is that we're over three months away from the official start of the 2024 Atlantic hurricane season. Do systems sometimes form before June 1st? Yes, but even with that in mind, we still have a lot of time before things might start developing. Borowski says that this far out, forecasters can only look at long-term data, climate signals, and seasonal patterns to help guide their thinking of what the upcoming season will bring. Here's Borowski again. And meteorologists will typically look at things that might influence the ingredients for tropical weather, namely sea surface temperatures and upper-level wind patterns. The center point of AccuWeather's cautionary alert was a forecast that transitions the current El Nino pattern into a La Nina pattern. AccuWeather's lead hurricane forecaster, Alex De Silva, explained. We're going to see a transition from that El Nino pattern to more of a La Nina pattern, um, which means cooler than average temperatures in the eastern and central Pacific um, equatorial regions. And so what that would mean is less wind shear across the Atlantic basin, which could promote more tropical development. De Silva said the second biggest indicating factor was water temperature. This is going to be the, probably the second biggest X factor for the season thus far. Uh, our temperatures across the Atlantic Basin, if you take the average temperature across the Atlantic Basin as a whole, um, we are currently where we should be in middle May. If we're seeing those water temperatures this warm this far early, um, that leads us to be very concerned as we move into the tropical season later on in the year. Borowski conceded that there is above-average warmth in the Atlantic already and signs that we are going to enter a La Nina just in time for hurricane season. Those are the things that are giving us clues that 2024 might be an active hurricane season. Other than that, we need to wait until closer to season to make more detailed forecasts. To be ready for the coming storm season, download the free Florida Storms app. This is Mike Braun in Southwest Florida. A bill that seeks to prevent motorists from cruising in left lanes of highways is headed to Governor Ron DeSantis. The Senate this week unanimously passed the bill, which would apply to drivers on highways with at least two lanes in the same direction and speed limits of 65 miles per hour or higher. 
the House passed the bill last week. Senate bill sponsor Keith Perry says the measures intended to improve highway safety. It's a safety issue. You know, we have road rage. Uh, we're not going to eliminate road rage, but I think we can mitigate it some uh, by people who want to be in that fast lane. The bill would prevent drivers from using left lanes unless they're passing other motorists preparing to exit on ramps, turning from left lanes, or are directed to left lanes by law enforcement officers or traffic control devices. The bill would set fines up to $158. What's it like to be the first one in your family to go to college? It's a question that still has relevance even in 2024 and WLRN's Kate Payne explored it. Nearly a third of students at Florida Atlantic University in Boca Raton are the very first in their families to go to college, their first generation. For them, walking onto FAU's campus can feel like crossing over into a whole other world. When I got here, I, I had no clue. I registered for classes the end of July. <laughs> And college started like two weeks later. Maisha Daly is a senior and a political science major at FAU. So I was like emailing my advisor like, um, I need help. And she was like, why didn't you talk to me the whole summer? I'm like, I didn't know. I didn't know. I didn't know anything. It's like college had its own secret language that Daly wasn't fluent in. FAFSA, drop ad, syllabus, prospectus, even that label, first generation. Like the only first generation I, I um, knew about was like first generation immigrants or first generation Americans. Daly is the first in her family to go to college. And she's got a full ride, thanks to the Kelly Struhl Emerging Scholars Program at FAU, which pays the way for select first gen students. Like my classmates, they, they are like, oh, like how, how are you paying for this? Or I know you live on the dorms. How did you get a dorm? And I'm like, my scholarship. And they're like, really? And I was like, Yes. <laughs> Students in the Kelly Stuhl program live together on campus. They get individualized advising, peer mentorship, career coaching, and financial literacy training. And their tuition, housing, and meals are all paid for, a cost that's estimated at thirty dollars to $35,000 a year. Daly says her college experience has been night and day compared to her friends who aren't in the scholarship program. They don't have like uh, personalized advisors that are strictly for them that they get priority over. They don't have the same structure that is provided to me. It's like a different world. Like we're the same, but we're miles apart. The cultural change from coming from Lake Worth to Boca, even though it's a 30 minute drive, it's such a big difference. Evan Cabrera is a first-gen student and is majoring in civil engineering at FAU. He's also a Kelly Struhl scholar, and he knows the feeling of being worlds away from where you came from. Because my parents met in their small village back in El Salvador, and then I always think I could have been there in the same situation if they never came here. So it's something i got to be grateful for, for all the sacrifices they made coming here. So there's nothing, no excuse I have to not try to excel. Cabrera is proud to be first, but it weighs on him too, in a way that folks at home don't always understand. I do get a lot of support, but then the support sometimes turns into a lot of weight on my shoulders. And at times it's a good thing, at times it's a bad thing, but it's something that has made me stronger, absolutely. 
Nationwide, first-generation students make up about half of all college students, but only about 27% will earn a bachelor's degree in four years. Something I heard from these students is that many of them weren't aware of what's out there, like advisors and scholarships that only they can qualify for. They have gotten accustomed to not asking for help. Jennifer Parra spoke with WLRN back in November. At the time, she helped lead the Office of First-Generation Student Success at FAU. Getting involved and coming to events is a challenge because they have to go make money. They have to make a living, sometimes for themselves, if they are lucky. For the most part, they are supporting a family member. Even if they know where to go, Para says it can be hard for first-gen students to ask for help. They are going to figure it out, and that's great. What we're here for is, let's make your experience less challenging. Maisha Daly, the poli-sci major, seems to have figured it out. Now she's the go-to college advisor in her family. I'm like the staple. I'm the example. I'm, look at what Maisha did. You can do that too. I'm what every cousin comes to now. It's a way for Daly to make sure that even though she's the first in her generation, she won't be the last. I'm Kate Payne in Boca Raton. Florida lawmakers are moving toward approving an overhaul of state energy laws. That would include eliminating references to reducing greenhouse gas emissions and imposing a ban on offshore wind energy generation. The Senate Agriculture, Environment, and General Government Appropriations Committee this week approved a revised bill that its sponsor, Jay Collins, a Republican from Tampa, said is now in line with a House measure and is now ready to go to the full House. Those bills address numerous issues ranging from natural gas pipelines to calling for a study of using advanced nuclear power technologies. Perhaps a bigger picture, they would ditch parts of state law about reducing greenhouse gas emissions. You're listening to Capital Report from WFSU Public Media. I'm Tom Flanagan. Finally this week, some University of South Florida students are in South Carolina for the Road to the White House class. The 24 students are experiencing firsthand what it's like to be on the ground in a presidential campaign ahead of tomorrow's Republican primary. WUSF's Kayla Kissel spoke to USF political science majors Stephen Brown and Lana Slayman, as well as their professor Judith Ann McLaughlin. She caught up with them while they were traveling between campaign events in the Palmetto State. Road to the White House is a unique program about presidential campaigns and elections, which takes place on campus at USF and presidential campaign internship that takes place in an early primary state. With this internship, Judith Ann, what ways do you think this hands-on experience will enhance the students' understanding for presidential campaigns beyond what they could learn in a traditional classroom setting? 
So I think what's unique about this program is that these students are going to have a new perspective because they're going to have been on the ground in South Carolina. They're going to see the candidates. They're going to hear from the candidates and take away experiences and knowledge that they could never have learned just inside the four walls of our classroom. Lana, while working with the Democrats, you're not on a campaign. So what have you been doing? We've been doing retail politics, so we're still phone banking because they do have a state convention. So we're making sure that people who are already registered as Democrats and that have previously shown interest will show up. And then we'll do some data analysis work to follow up and see what we can do to get them to go. And for you, Stephen, as a veteran working on vet outreach for the Trump campaign, what motivated you to get involved in political campaigns after your military service? I saw the need for reform in the VA, so I, I thought that the best way for me to serve my country again and to serve my community was to work in policy. And the best way to get these things done is to is to work with legislators and to work with officials. And I want to I want to just keep that ball pushing forward to, to serve the people that are willing to die for us. Along the lines of staying involved, what have you been doing for the campaign? So we've been working with the Trump team. I canvassed 93 houses the other day, so I talked to a lot of voters. The ladies in my group are killing it on the phone banks. I mean, we've only been here a few days and they're already hitting the leaderboards, calling voters, talking to people about issues that matter to them. So, Judith Ann, there's quite the mix of ideologies on this trip. There's 17 students with the Democrats, five with Donald Trump, and two with Nikki Haley. What was planned to ensure a balanced and inclusive learning environment for all students? I always allow the students to select where they work. They're going to the state house. We went to the governor's mansion. We're going to the Democratic Party. We're going to the Republican Party because I need to make sure that every student, no matter his or her political views, has a high quality internship opportunity. Stephen, with this opportunity, what's something special that this Road to the White House trip has offered you? We're trying to get ingrained in what the day-to-day of political campaigns were like. And that experience is invaluable. It's one thing to complain about policy you don't like. It's another thing to understand it. We bring a different point of view to the table, and we're having productive conversations across the aisle and explaining why we believe the way that we believe, rather than just yelling at each other on social media in all caps, has been a way to kind of bridge the gaps between the two ideologies. And Lana, what about you? When I learned about the course and I learned about the internship, it felt like fate. It was honestly a dream come true because I knew it may have been one of the only opportunities to be so immersed into the political field and to learn so much. Judith Ann, with all of the work your students are doing, do you almost feel like a proud parent to this entire group? Oh, absolutely. Students who are here are representing USF. They're representing their campaign at the very highest level. And I'm really proud of the students for their stamina. There are 24 different individuals, 24 personalities from different majors, different campuses, different backgrounds. And we are all the road to the White House. That was USF political science professor Judith Ann McLaughlin and students Lana Sleeman and Stephen Brown talking to WUSF's Kayla Kissel about the Road to the White House class. Our regular Capitol Report correspondents are Adrian Andrews, Lynn Hatter, Regan McCarthy, Margie Menzel, and Tristan Wood. 
Thanks also to Mike Braun, Kate Payne, and Kayla Kissel. Technical support for Capital Report comes from Taylor Cox, and I'm Tom Flanagan. Join us again next week online and on air for more reports from the state capitol. Funding for Capital Report is provided by the following. The Florida AFL-CIO, representing over 1 million union members, retirees, and their families, committed to building a better future for all Floridians by promoting healthy communities, economic justice, and dignity in the workplace. Online at flaflcio.org. And from Florida State University, a preeminent institution. FSU specialty license plates support scholarships for deserving students who enrich and contribute to our state and nation. More on FSU specialty plates is at fsu.edu slash mytag. Capital Report is a production of WFSU Public Media in Tallahassee.